This is Reclaiming Jane, an Austin podcast for fans on the margins. I'm Lauren Weathers. And I'm Emily Davis-Hale. And today, we're reading chapters 51 through 55 of Pride and Prejudice, but they focus on belonging. so close to the finish line. Ah, I don't want it to be over yet. I know. I'm not convinced we shouldn't just do like three chapters and then three chapters just to like <laughs> no. eke it out a little longer. I just don't want to be done with Pride and Prejudice. I love this book so much. I know. I mean, there's nothing stopping us from rereading it. I mean, it's not as though we don't watch the movie on our own time all the time anyway. I know, right? Like we had posted on Twitter the other day because um, someone posted a meme about like, you've seen this 42 times and the person goes, yes. And then it's just a picture of the Pride and Prejudice poster <laughs> from 2005. And I quote tweeted it and I said, 42 honestly might be an understatement. That's, that's pretty low. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, it's just a good movie. It is. It's, one, good it's one of the only movies that I paid Apple for so that I have it on my iTunes. Right? I think I paid Amazon. I don't remember who I paid. I paid somebody mm-hmm. to make sure I could own it forever and always. Yeah. I also have a DVD copy because, of course. Right. As you do. Yeah. Because it's Pride and Prejudice. Anyway. Anyway. We're almost to the end. Ah. And there's, there's feelings happening and... Before I lose it, we've got a recap. Yeah, yeah. Before we just go into, we skip the recap and we just go into, like... Raptures? Yes. All right. Lauren, are you ready to recap? I do believe. Excellent. Ready in three, two, one, go. Lydia and Wickham are married. They come back. Lydia has no remorse whatsoever, much to the shame and irritation of her entire family. Uh, Lizzie and Wickham have like a little bit of a moment where she kind of lets on to Wickham like I know you've been lying and he just kind of doesn't know what to say to her about it but the biggest revelation is that Darcy was at Lydia and Wickham's wedding and paid for everything and Mrs. Gardner her aunt is like I thought you knew this I thought he did this for you I don't know why you don't know but I'll tell you why and Elizabeth doesn't know what to think and I left out a very important thing because I was so stuck in the okay i was strategizing my recap earlier so that so that i could include everything because this that's exactly what happened to me last time (laughs) okay please fill in what i did not get to because oh my god what happened in five chapters so many things right ready to recap yes in three two one go lydia and wickham are married and they come back to longbourn mrs bennett is the only person who is happy about this lizzie finds out that Mr. Darcy was at their wedding and finds out from her aunt that he was heavily involved in the affair. But then Lydia and Wickham have to go off. The Bennets are alone for a while. And then the news comes that Mr. Bingley is coming back to Netherfield. So he and Darcy show up at Longbourn. Finally, finally, Bingley proposes. Yeah! Yes! (laughs) For a hot second there, I was afraid you weren't going to make it either. I was like, no, Emily, one of us has to say this. I feel like that may be the best recap I've ever done, personally. Thank you. I'm real proud of myself. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, when we closed the last section, it was confirmed that Lydia and Wickham were getting married. That disgrace, at least, was averted Mm -hmm. for the family. Yeah. So they, um, the day of their wedding comes, um... And then Lydia and Wickham come back to Longbourn to be received as a married couple by the rest of Lydia's family. Most of whom are not thrilled with this. Yeah. As Emily said, Mrs. Bennett is the only one who is excited that they are coming back for the rest of them. Um, well, Kitty probably is. Kitty I too. I guess it's just not really stated. But Lydia and Wickham are only going to be there for 10 days. And for most of the Bennett family, that is 10 days too long. Mm-hmm. They do not want them to stay. And it doesn't help that Lydia doesn't even have the good grace to, like, be a little bit embarrassed of all the trouble that she's caused. No, not at all. She has not a wit of care in her. She mm-hmm. is ready to go and show off to everyone in the neighborhood that she's married and show them her ring and talk about how she's marrying a military man. And Lydia is thrilled to come back and brag to her sisters and how she's a married woman ahead of all of them. Mm-hmm. And she's the youngest. Like mm-hmm. I'm still the mind boggles. She is 
barely 16. And as I think I've said before, we like to joke about how, oh, you know, people were getting married at 15 mm-hmm. in ye olden days or whatever. That was not normal. So she is married shockingly young and in a very scandalous way. Mm-hmm. And yet she just has no awareness of this whatsoever. No awareness of anything or any kind of caution, which is how the little tidbit slips out to Lizzie that Darcy was at their wedding. Yeah. I wrote while in this section, Lydia is still the worst. I would have smacked her because I would have lost my patience completely. (laughs) Yeah. But she comes up to Elizabeth and it's like, well, don't you want to hear about my wedding? Like you walked away because Elizabeth was so frustrated with her at one point that she just gets up and leaves the table as Lydia is just... Yap, yap, yapping away. Better to leave than to physically assault her, so. Exactly. Where I would have smacked her, Elizabeth got up and walked away, like the mature person that she is. <laughs> um, and Lydia's like, well, you didn't hear, like, do you, don't you want to know about my wedding? And Elizabeth is like, uh, no, not, not really. really. <laughs> what is it? What is it that she says? She says, Lizzie, I never gave you an account of my wedding, I believe. You were not by when I told Mama and the others all about it. Are not you curious to hear how it was managed? And Elizabeth says, no, really. I think there cannot be too little said on the subject. (laughs) Elizabeth, maid of salt Bennett, (laughs) does not want to hear a word of her sister's frivolous, ill-advised wedding. But, of course... Lydia completely ignores this because she never hears a word that anyone says besides herself. And Mm -hmm. so she enumerates every single thing that they did for the entire day and how, oh, she was worried that Mr. Gardner wasn't going to be able to make it because he was supposed to give her away being her uncle. Mm -hmm. But he was called on business at the last minute. And she only realized later that it might have been fine anyway because Mr. Darcy could have given her away in a pinch. And Elizabeth just says Mr. Darcy like you can just see the confusion and the shock and if she were an anime character like it just would have been like the whole freeze frame like the what <laughs> the hair standing on end yeah, 100% <laughs> eyes bugging out all of the teeth showing <gasps> she glitches <laughs> she does not know how to handle this information and then Liddy just says oh yeah you know He was to come there with Wickham, you know, but gracious me, I quite forgot. I ought not to have said a word about it. I promised them so faithfully. What will Wickham say? It was to be such a secret. And then, of course, Jane is like, if it's supposed to be a secret, stop talking about it. And Elizabeth, like, despite the primal urge to find out what's going on, is like, okay, yeah. She recognizes that this is highly unusual, Mm -hmm. absolutely the last place that she would have expected Darcy to be standing up in association with Wickham of all people mm-hmm. who has done such horrible, horrible things to him. And it's just such a does not compute moment. He he doesn't belong there. Right. At all. Like Lizzie's envisioning this scene and then someone says Darcy was there and she's like, no. <laughs> That's not uh-uh. how the story goes. But of course she's absolutely dying to know why was Darcy there? What is this about? And so she doesn't ask Lydia about it, which honestly is probably wise because Lydia probably doesn't know anyway. She doesn't care. It's like, it's just that that weird man that we met last year. Um, So she writes to her Aunt Gardner instead for the tea. And her Aunt Gardner is like, why the hell are you asking me? Like basically in so many words, her first paragraph is like, "Uh, I kind of thought you were the one who put him up to this. Mm-hmm. So I'm very confused as to why you're asking me. I'm sorry if I like assume too much, but like, girl, I thought you were in on this. <laughs> yeah, she says, I had not imagined such inquiries to be necessary on your side. If you do not choose to understand me, forgive my impertinence. <laughs> like, I, the gardeners are just the best. I just, I, I want to hang out with them. Like, can I be in their social circle, please? Yep. But Mrs. Gardner does indeed spill the tea that Darcy was the one who leveraged his connections in the city Mm -hmm. um, through Georgiana's debacle to find out where Lydia and Wickham were even before Mr. Bennett had returned to Longbourn. So Darcy was in London fairly soon after um, Lizzie and the gardeners had left Derbyshire. It says I think he left like a day after they did. 
And went straight to London. Yeah, it sounds like he basically stayed long enough to like make his excuses to all of the guests that he had still had at home and his sister and just hightailed it to London to specifically look for Wickham and Lydia and Mm -hmm. went even to the woman who had so betrayed his trust by letting Georgiana be in contact with Wickham. Like, this is this is some, like, reliving traumatic experiences for him, I'm sure. I, I can't even imagine. I'm glad that you were more serious about it, because what I was going to say is I really want to read the fan fiction of what that encounter was like. I want to know what that conversation looked like between Darcy and Mrs. Young, who was the person who had been in charge of, charge of Georgiana, because it says he has to ask her several times to tell him where Wickham is, because she knows because they stopped by that house when they got back into London, because apparently she and Wickham are still besties, whatever, um, but won't tell Darcy where they are. And I just I just really want to know what those conversations look like and how mm-hmm. he convinced her to tell him where Wickham and Lydia were. You know, I'm sure like money exchanged hands mm-hmm. at some point. But... Yeah, and Mrs. Gardner suggests that too, mm-hmm. that there must have been bribery involved for him to get that information out of her. But 100%. eventually he does find out he talks to Wickham multiple times and talks to Lydia as well, which I think is, you know, kind of a point in his favor. Like he has no personal investment in this specific girl, but mm-hmm. actually speaks to her in person, gets her side of the story, essentially. And Lydia's convinced, but not particularly concerned that at some point they're going to get married. It's fine, whatever. And Wickham very clearly has never had any intent to marry Lydia. He's literally just running because he's in debt to multiple people yeah. <laughs> and was planning on resigning his commission and figuring out what he was going to do after that. But no, he just, he needed to get out. Lydia was obsessed with him. He wasn't going to say no to a young, impressionable girl accompanying him to London. So he was like, yeah, you can come. I don't really care that's going to ruin your reputation. That sounds like a you problem. Right? I mean, that's literally like, yeah, the way that you put it that like she ended up coming along. That's kind of how... I imagine it must have happened too. Mm -hmm. Like maybe he let something drop that like he was going to go to London or he was going to resign his commission. And Lydia was like, we should go together. It'll be so romantic. And he's like, okay, like, I guess, whatever. Um, But now, now he is stuck with her. Forever. (laughs) No way out of this one, buddy. (laughs) See when you do clownery. (laughs) (laughs) But um, through Darcy's influence, he manages to convince Wickham, basically, like, you have to marry this girl. Mm -hmm. And presumably, I would think that, like, Darcy probably has enough influence to wreck Wickham's reputation if he actually shared publicly everything that has gone on. So he probably has a little bit of leverage there. You know, Wickham has treated him abominably, but still, like this thing he can he can do say you know you're trying to find yourself a place in society i can make sure that never happens mm-hmm. which i imagine is with the card that he played when they were going back and forth about that because mm-hmm. given that wickham has such intimate knowledge of darcy's financial status he knows exactly how much he can ask for and darcy can use that as his way to say like no i'm not you can ask for that but i'm not giving you this much money that's ridiculous And this is why you're going to be reasonable. Like, yeah, I'll help you. But to a point. So once he's found Lydia and Wickham and started kind of these negotiations with Wickham, Darcy does go and see Mr. Gardner being Lydia's nearest responsible relative Mm -hmm. that he knows of. Um, And Mrs. Gardner also mentions that he had initially come to the house while Mr. Bennett was still there, but... Basically, he shaded Mr. Bennett because he didn't want to speak to him. He wanted to speak to Mr. Gardner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He did not judge your father to be a person who he, whom he could so properly consult as your uncle and therefore readily postponed seeing him till after the departure of the former, um, which like part of it, it, it kind of reads like shade. But at the same time, Darcy has actually had some kind of acquaintance with Mr. Gardner, whereas with Mr. Bennett, it's probably just been handshake and names exchanged Mm -hmm. so i kind of get that too like he he has a better understanding of mr gardner's character and probably feels more confident in presenting all of this information to him whereas there's no way for him to know how mr bennett might react you know he could run out the door 
grab a gun and go after Wickham, but he he can be a little more assured of of Mr. Gardner's character, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it could also very well read as a little shade against Mr. Bennett. I think I probably both and. Yes. I think too. The Gardners have seen him and Elizabeth together, which is also the only reason that they let him be involved. I mean, we could see in the past chapters, both her aunt and uncle kind of looking between the two of them like something is going on here and it hasn't been defined yet. But like the two of you are not just acquaintances. Like Mm -hmm. there's something deeper that's happening here, which is the only reason why they let Darcy get involved, because it would be completely inappropriate to let a stranger be involved in this kind of like intimate family business Mm -hmm. and so they clearly think that there's something going on with elizabeth and i wonder too if that would have been part of why he was like let me speak to mr gardner instead yeah that's a good point yeah because mr bennett had only seen him while he was at netherfield Mm -hmm. and even then probably not very often because lord knows mr bennett is not going to be dragged out of his library lightly so (laughs) anything that he is begrudgingly at he's not going to be looking with any particular favor on other attendees. And I'm sure whatever big to-do that was, Darcy probably wasn't very happy about being there either. So he he has to be aware to some extent that like, okay, I probably haven't made a very good impression on this guy. Maybe it's better to go directly to the person who still has some significant responsibility Mm -hmm. um, where Lydia is concerned, or at at the very least could act as middleman. Right. But it turns out that Darcy ends up taking care of everything financially. So he pays off Wickham's debts. Mm -hmm. He also sells some money on Lydia incredibly because that's like, that's so far out of the range of anything he could possibly be responsible for. But he's not responsible for any of this. No, no, he's not responsible for any of this. He expresses to Mrs. Gardner that he feels responsible for it Mm -hmm. because he could have aired the dirty laundry at any point and, you know, let society at large know the kind of person Wickham was. So he feels responsible much in the same way that Lizzie does Mm -hmm. because she had that information as well. But he also purchases Wickham's commission in the regular army, which is a chunk of change as well. So Mm -hmm. he has laid out, God only knows how much money to salvage Lydia's reputation, basically. Yep. Yep. And that's another thing where even though it's less than the 10,000 pounds that Mr. Bennett had estimated, it's still significant, like at least $1,000 to Lydia, enough to purchase Wickham's commission, you know, all this other stuff to where... It's it's far more than the Bennetts could ever have imagined Mm -hmm. laying down on one of their daughters. Like that's probably just infinitely out of their budget. 100%, yeah. And this entire letter is just Mrs. Gardner telling Lizzie, like, will you please get it together? I absolutely love it. Oh my God. Because she says again, you know, he says, emphasis on the he says, that he did it because he felt as though it was his fault and this was his way of putting things at ease. But I don't actually know that he's telling the truth for the record. I mean, that might be part of it, but I don't think he's telling the whole story here. Yeah, she she emphasizes that they had all agreed among themselves basically to kind of keep the secret, especially from Mr. Bennett, Mm -hmm. but that Mr. Gardner is really relieved to be able to divest some of that what he calls borrowed feathers. Mm -hmm. And Mrs. Gardner continues from that and says, in spite of all this fine talking, you may rest perfectly assured that your uncle would never have yielded if we had not given Mr. Darcy credit for another interest in Mm -hmm. the affair. So like their, their, personal and familial sense of honor and duty would never have allowed them to have functionally a stranger step in Mm -hmm. and cover all the financial responsibilities of their niece getting married but we're pretty sure he's gonna be our (laughs) nephew pretty soon so like that's mm, whatever acting on assumed imminent familial connection right just to backtrack to the commission part two, I know we had mentioned this when our theme was military, but just as a reminder, so to be in the more desirable regular army, not the militia, you had to purchase a commission. So Wickham is not in a militia, he's in the regular army, which was a higher like status of military. Because... It sort of assures that you're a gentleman because you had the money to get in at that mm-hmm. rank. Um, and so 
my handy dandy annotated copy of Pride and Prejudice says that the official rate for Wickham's commission at the time was about 400 pounds, but the actual price could have been higher because the scarcity of commissions created an active private market in which those already possessing commissions would sell them for more than the official rate. So basically the black market of commissions. Yeah, which is wild. <laughs> which is nuts. <laughs> but hey, if, if you want to put a little honor on your name and you got the money for it, why mm-hmm. not, I guess. And I, story of capitalism, right? Honestly, if you have the money for it, then why not? I just, I, I cannot even fathom. Like this is, this is what comes with growing up middle class. And like, why, what, what, what are you doing? Everything is possible if you have enough zeros in your bank account. Uh, yeah, and boy, does Darcy have zeros. Mm. But um, it seems like even with the extremes of the situation. Darcy was perfectly amiable with mm-hmm. the gardeners. He even dined with them the day after Lydia and Wickham's wedding. So he he's treating them as acquaintances, right. even possibly as friends, mm-hmm. despite their class differences and their implicit association with this scandal that has just happened with their niece running away with a rascal. Which your standard, reasonable, ordinary stranger would attempt to distance themselves from oh yeah your standard reasonable ordinary stranger would have heard lizzie say my sister's run away with wigan been like bye <laughs> adios so sorry for you <laughs> that sucks for your family that's rough buddy you know maybe i'll see you in 20 years yeah <laughs> i hope i hope that you marry better than she does good luck uh, to you but um Miss Gardner, never one to miss a shot, finishes her letter like, I might be making some assumptions, but like, you can't be mad at me. Or at least let me come back to Pemberley, like, when you're the mistress of it. Just a hint, hint. Right. I love it. I love Mrs. Gardner so much. Like, even before that, she goes, will you be very angry with me, my dear Lizzie, if I take this opportunity of saying what I was never bold enough to say before, how much I like him. Like... (laughs) Girl, go get your man. Get that man. (laughs) He's here for a reason, and the reason is not Wickham. Look, people are in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, Mm -hmm. and he's trying to tell you he wants to be here for a lifetime. (laughs) Take the hint. I mean, even the fact that he dines with the gardeners after the whole affair is concluded, like, if he were really just there to ease his own conscience with regards to Wickham... Why would he not have just hightailed it back to Pemberley Mm -hmm. or like dined with someone else that he knew in town? Because surely he's got business contacts or whatever. But he he took up the gardeners on on their invitation and went and dined with them again. So that's significant. And Mrs. Gardner knows it. Oh, yes, she does. And it seems like Lizzie is beginning to sort of let those suspicions back into her own mind because she's been so violently suppressing that urge to assume that he's still in love with her because he he was perfectly friendly mm-hmm. at Pemberley. He was even friendly to her at Rosings in front of his horrible aunt. And um, what I really loved was just this one little short line as Lizzie's considering what Mrs. Gardner has said and all the implications of this letter and why Darcy was there and it says her heart did whisper that he had done it for her. But then she's like, that's ridiculous. No, absolutely not. Can't be. Impossible. It's one of those things where it's like you don't want to allow yourself to hope because if you do and then you turn out to be wrong, the pain is even worse. Mm-hmm. And so you just ignore all of the really obvious signs because it's safer just to be like, no, 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 no. That can't be. I must be interpreting this entirely the wrong way because there's no way that one he could still love me and two that he would humble himself so much as to ask me again Mm because she also was like there's there's not a man on earth that would propose to the same woman twice it's just not happening yeah it's it's not wanting to get her own hopes up but also i think a a unwillingness to presume Mm -hmm. that much um because it it could very easily come off as just thinking really highly of yourself like oh yeah i'm so good he would propose to me twice Mm -hmm. um but yeah she even she has a little meditation on like absolutely not proposing to the same woman a second time is the last thing any self-respecting man would do exactly yeah but she she does acknowledge how 
deeply grateful she is for the compassion and the honor that he showed in the way that he handled the situation with Wickham. And and it actually says, for herself, she was humbled, but she was proud of him. Mm -hmm. Like, Lizzie, get your man. We're like... (laughs) Slow motion running to the the obvious conclusion. Running through the airport. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Before he gets on the plane. You know what that makes me think of is um, the scene from Monty Python where the person's running over the hill and it just keeps cutting back to the same shot of the person running over the (laughs) hill and they never get any closer. (laughs) Yeah, and in the same chapter, then she has a little encounter with Wickham. So, oh my god, no the time awkwardness of this. No time to breathe. She's she, just trying to go on her walk, mind yeah, her business. Read her letter in private. Yeah. And, and Wickham, I mean, he wasn't like out looking for her. He was just also out walking. Mm-hmm. And they just run into each other um, and have like the most awkward conversation. It's like, we're going to try to be civil. But Wickham's also trying to find out how much she knows about the truth. And mm-hmm. she, she really doesn't give him anything. Like the vaguest inclination of things that she's heard or people she's met. Like she says that she met Georgiana, but doesn't say anything about other information she may have gathered about Wickham. She gives him enough to make sure he understands that she no longer believes his version of the truth. Enough to make him uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that she knows that there is more to the story than what he's telling her. Yeah, And I understand that she doesn't want to go that far for the sake of her sisterly relationship Mm -hmm. with Lydia. I mean, it might not be much of a relationship, but they're stuck now. He is her brother-in-law for good. Mm -hmm. So there's no use in perpetuating that kind of antagonism that would come along with just how deeply uncomfortable every... I mean, all of their interactions are going to be uncomfortable anyway because she has this information Mm -hmm. and he kind of knows that she has this information also they had a flirtation before they did so it would have been awkward anyway right but yeah i I understand why lizzie is not content but she is resigned to dropping the matter Mm -hmm. because they're connected now for better or worse and why throw that kind of rift into the family it's already a miracle that they've salvaged this much face amen to that but then we have a different turn of events one door closes and another door opens because and this is a very nice door a very nice door lydia and wickham finally leave mrs bennett of course is in histrionics but she happens to pull herself together when she finds out that a certain someone is coming back into town mr bingley is expected at netherfield again what Which, of course, Mrs. Bennett finds this out from her sister, who's just as much of a gossip as she is. And I heard from so-and-so that they saw the housekeeper from Netherfield in the market the other day, and she said that her master is coming back. He's he's coming back for the shooting. It is hunting season. I I don't know of what. Uh, Some kind of bird. Doesn't really matter because, you know, this is just a pretense. Right. He's not really there for the shooting. He's there to shoot Jane's heart with an arrow of love. Oh, our little Cupid. (laughs) (laughs) And who has he brought with him? But the very person Elizabeth can't decide if she most or least wants to see. Honestly, I I commiserate. (laughs) But he is there nonetheless. And Bingley is there, and he looks to be just as much in love with Jane as he ever was before. And as much as she denies it, Jane is also pretty well gone. She's swearing up and down to Lizzie any chance she can get. Oh, I'm not in danger anymore. We'll meet as perfectly indifferent acquaintances. <laughs> the lady doth protest too much. Mm. <laughs> and Lizzie at every point is just like, okay, if you say so. Of course, Mrs. Bennett uses every opportunity to throw them together alone. She's like, by God, if I have to put him down on one knee in front of her and hold his jaw and make him say the words, he is going to propose to my daughter. I could not deal with her winking at Kitty and Lizzie <laughs> trying to get them out of the room. So at one point, you know, they're gathered 
Uh, Mrs. Bennett is trying to get only Jane and Bingley alone in the room together, but Lizzie and Kitty are there. Lizzie is ignoring her mother. She can see that she's trying to like make eyes at her to get her to get up. And Elizabeth is just like, no, I don't think I will. Whereas Kitty doesn't get it at all. And it's like, why are you winking at me? (laughs) Mrs. Bennett's like, I'm not winking at you. Come on. (laughs) I think the other thing is that, you know, Mrs. Bennett receives Bingley with like all like the love and warmth in the world but it's still super cold to Darcy when he shows up. Which Elizabeth is just agonizing over because she can't say anything about anything, mm-hmm. obviously. But she's also just like, do you have to be so passive aggressive just because he wasn't friendly the first time around? And like, okay, maybe he said that I wasn't pretty enough to dance with that one time, but it's been a year. Come on. And, like, if you only knew how much she had if done. I knew. Yeah, that that really gets her. And I, I get the sense that she's relieved that at least Jane knows. Mm-hmm. So Jane can kind of back her up and, like, trying to not be ice cold to Darcy. But, of course, Jane is totally enraptured with Bingley. So mm-hmm. she she's has a little her priorities. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. They're so enraptured. Bingley's there, like, all the time. Oh, just keep showing up. They're so sugary sweet. If you threw water on them, they would melt. It's ridiculous. So ridiculous. The purest couple you ever did see. That's not technically a couple yet. Right. They're basically a couple. I mean, at this point, with him coming around to their house all the time, Mm -hmm. and they have, you know, their little private moments, like, they're pretty much a couple. Yep. By the standards of the time, that's basically a couple. Bingley comes back all the time. Darcy really only comes like once or twice. And in the first visit, he doesn't really say much. Elizabeth doesn't know what to say because she doesn't really know what is a safe topic of conversation. Because she's not supposed to know that he did anything for Lydia. She's not supposed to know that he was even in town. And it's much harder for them to have that same like easy rapport that they did at Pemberley, because now the situation is different, and obviously the focus is on Jane and Bingley, because Darcy also knows why he and his friend are back in town. Like, there is a clear object there. Yeah, at the beginning of chapter 54, Elizabeth is kind of frustratedly musing to herself, why, if he came only to be silent, grave, and indifferent, did he come at all? It's moral support! He's trying to be there for Bingley! He's a wingman! Because Bingley's made out of cotton candy. He can't do it. He doesn't have a backbone. Not the gumdrop buttons. <laughs> yeah, Darcy, to to anyone but Elizabeth, who is so, so preoccupied with all of these other things, understandably, he's friends with Bingley. And we've seen that Bingley really relies on him. He's just there for moral support. He's there to give him the punch in the arm. You're like, go get him, buddy. I actually made a note about the fact that because Bingley is back and Darcy is with him, Darcy must have admitted something to Bingley. Probably not the whole, you know, intentional separation thing, but at least I was talking to Elizabeth and it turns out that I was wrong about the way Jane felt. So maybe shoot your shot after all. Try it again. Yeah. Might be. Yeah. I doubt that, you know, he he would risk his own pride enough to be like, actually, yeah, we decided that to save you from marrying this woman, uh, we were all just going to jet. So I I can't imagine that conversation going down because I feel like Bingley would be really hurt and it would probably take a while for him to recover that kind of trust. Agreed. Even though he leans so heavily on Darcy. But yeah, there had to be some kind of at least the tiniest admission of a mistake on Darcy's part to convince Bingley that like, yes, you should go and do this. This human golden retriever. I know, right? He's so sweet. <sighs> sweet summer child. He's he's a cinnamon roll. He's, he's too good, too pure for this world. I do apologize for setting up Edward Ferris on our Twitter poll asking which Austin <laughs> hero would out nice the other because Bingley decimated Bingley, him. Bingley. <laughs> Bingley. <laughs> Bingley does not have a malicious or deceptive bone in his body. Mm-mm. Like, in the tip of his pinky finger, 
he has more goodwill for the world than like entire nations i swear (laughs) not an exaggeration i don't think Uh, right like he's just really golden retriever bingley is it's just so accurate should we talk about the absolute sweetest moment of this section yes please oh my goodness okay amidst all the scheming of mrs bennett trying to get jane and bingley alone together at a certain point it actually happens and they are able to spend some time alone together which elizabeth accidentally interrupts by walking into the room unaware and they're very close together and clearly have been having a conversation and then jane throws herself on lizzie saying that she's the happiest person who ever was and why can't everyone in her family be so happy because of course Bingley has proposed, and she instantly accepted, even though she was in no danger of falling in love with him again, mind you. Of course. No, never. They were only acquaintances. (laughs) And she is now Mrs. Bennett's favorite daughter. Oh, my God. They're both just, like, brimming. And, I mean, I can only imagine that Elizabeth is like, "Uh, but I interrupted this. Like, continue. I will leave. Pretend I was not here. But as as soon as, like, the moment is broken, Mm -hmm. Bingley runs off to officially ask Mr. Bennett. And, like, it takes no time at all. Mr. Bennett is happy to get his permission. Mm -hmm. Jane runs off to tell her mother. And it's so cute because she's still talking to her mother when Bingley comes out from talking to Lizzie's father. And he runs into Lizzie and he's like, where is Jane? Perfect. Precious. Although Jane does have a couple uh, stinging moments. One is when Mr. Bennett is congratulating her and saying, basically, you're you're both just so nice that all of your servants are going to cheat you and you're always going to spend beyond your income. And Jane's response is, I hope not so. Imprudence or thoughtlessness in money matters would be unpardonable in me. Okay, your daughters are not going to be left penniless, huh? Not on her watch. Mm -mm. And she also gives her most unforgiving speech yet with regards to Caroline Bingley. And I mean, honestly, for Jane, it's savage. We have to put it in, in on a Jane scale because for everybody else it's like very nice, but for Jane, <laughs> oh yeah, for anybody else it would be like, can 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 you be a little bit angry? But for Jane, this is evisceration um, when she tells Elizabeth that Bingley had said he actually had no idea that she had been in London at all the last spring when Jane was staying with the gardeners. So Elizabeth asks whether there's an explanation, and Jane says it must have been his sister's doing. They were certainly no friends to his acquaintance with me, which I cannot wonder at, since he might have chosen so much more advantageously in many respects. But when they see, as I trust they will, that their brother is happy with me, they will learn to be contented, and we shall be on good terms again, though we can never be what we once were to each other. Jane actually admitted that somebody might not have had her best interests at heart when relating to her. (laughs) Jane just said they're not going to like it, but they're going to get over it. Mm Mm-hmm. A round of applause for Jane. Well done, Jane. You done did it. I'm so happy for her. They're so cute. (laughs) They're so tooth-achingly sweet. Like, I've never had a cavity in my life, knock on wood, but this couple just might do it. Honestly, though. That's the high note that we end on. Yeah. Of course, everyone in the neighborhood is like, y'all had the jackpot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, you know. They got Bingley. A month ago, they were talking about how that family was disgraced beyond repair because of Lydia. And now, with Jane's engagement to Bingley, how their fortunes have changed. Started from the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> oh, but it's such a classic happy ending for Jane. It's so wonderful. She thought that she had lost the man that she loved, and then out of nowhere he comes, and everything's just perfect and magical again. Because they belong together. They belong together! What a theme for this week. Where did you see belonging in this section, other than the obvious of Jane and Bingley being OTP, meant for each other, Mm -hmm. Jane and Bingley five ever? I saw it kind of in, first off, kind of assigning responsibility and blame for things um does the guilt for wickham's continuance in society belong to darcy for not exposing him to the world does it belong at all to lizzie for not telling her family especially when lydia was running away with wickham yeah where does all of this belong Mm -hmm. and i don't think that's something that anybody ever works out for themselves much less with fictional characters and then the the other thing that stood out 
to me was just how jarringly Darcy did not belong in that vignette of Lydia and Wickham's wedding and how that shocked Lizzie so much Mm -hmm. that it just seemed completely out of place to her. It made sense at the same time, but it just came up so quickly and unexpectedly that her initial reaction is just, he doesn't belong in the story. What's going on? He sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mine was a little vague, I guess, especially with assigning blame. Who does guilt belong to? But what about you? Where where did you see belonging? I like that you took it somewhere different than I did, because my first thought was that it's not lost on me that we chose belonging for a section that starts with a man who does not belong. Mm. And, you know, you can be tricky with the word for that, because technically he does belong because he's part of their family. But at the same time, he's an aberration in Mm. the family. You know, he's not supposed to be there. That was never part of the plan. He doesn't particularly get along well with the rest of the family. He also sticks out, but for a different way. And, you know, I don't know what kind of a husband Mrs. Bennett had inevitably been envisioning for Lydia. And maybe a nice military man was what she had in mind. But I don't think any of them, even when they were thinking about like nightmare scenarios, would have dreamt up this, you Mm -hmm. know? And this first meeting doesn't belong, is out of place. The person himself is out of place and everything just feels off and off kilter, even though in a sense he does belong to their family, but he also feels as though he's a puzzle piece that doesn't quite fit. Yeah. And you get the sense through Lizzie as well that maybe it all just kind of feels like play acting. Like this can't be real. It feels like it's just off. Thinking about it that way too, now that we're opening that conversation, it makes me think of We say like belonging together in a way where it's a meant to be fated type of thing where it's like two people are equally yoked in the relationship, but there's also the ownership connotation of belonging Mm -hmm. where especially in marriage, a woman's possessions now belong to the man. So like Lydia in a sense now belongs to Wickham, even Mm -hmm. as he doesn't really fit in with her family and like doesn't belong in that situation. And doesn't necessarily want her to belong to him. No, (laughs) but he will certainly accept, you know, any cash that she brings with her. So I was thinking about that too. And that kind of connotation of belonging and all of that sense. You know, like we can say belonging with a positive thing, like, oh, they belong together, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's fate. But then there's also like the, the flip side of belonging where it's, oh, who who really belongs to who? Because then that mm-hmm. implies a kind of ownership over another person that isn't healthy. Yeah. And actually phrasing that way of two people belonging together, mm-hmm. that flip side, I feel like, is when you say, oh, they deserve each other. Yeah. And that's the sense that I get Lizzie thinks of Lydia and Wickham. Mm -hmm. Like, they deserve it. They deserve each other. They deserve to be miserable together. Yeah. Jane and Bingley get the positive, they belong together. Lydia and Wickham get the, they deserve each other. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we got to end this section on the the high point of Jane and Bingley. (laughs) This makes you believe in some kind of divine plan, you know, Mm -hmm. or just excellent plotting by Jane Austen. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's and it's completely arbitrary that it's these five chapters that we open with just the complete dissonance Mm -hmm. of how on earth did Lydia and Wickham end up together to that perfect harmony of Jane and Bingley are finally together the Mm -hmm. way it was always meant to be. Yeah, because I mean, these five chapters aren't really like specifically grouped together in the book either. It just happens to be the five that we It's literally just our five chapter break. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't even think about that symmetry that works out Mm -hmm. so well. It's very symmetrical. I like it. I'm a big fan of symmetry. Same. (laughs) So Lauren, Mm. um, since as I said before, I I have no history Mm -hmm. this time. Do you have a pop culture connection? I do, which I think is a little bit more meta, I suppose, this time. But when I was thinking about belonging, I was thinking about why we started this podcast in the first place, because so often, like, BIPOC fans or queer fans or, you know, whoever feels that they don't belong in, like, the the J-Knight or the Austin fandom. Anyone who's not a straight cisgender white woman. Exactly. That made me think about... You know, even though everyone belongs in the fandom, the difference between belonging and feeling welcome. And I think sometimes there's a kind of 
tension, I suppose, that occurs when people who aren't in the typical fan mold of a Jane Austen fan assert that we also belong in fandom and that we're part of it. And some of that comes from, you know, even as we too want to belong in these stories with a happy ending, like we also want to be like a Jane who gets Bingley at the end, or we want to be the Lizzie or the Eleanor or the Marianne, you know, we want to belong in these stories too. And there's sometimes tension that comes from that when not only do you not like see yourself represented in the book, like in a physical way, but it's compounded when not only do I not see myself represented in the book, but then when I try and engage with other fans, they make it clear that I'm not wanted there either. And then that just compounds the, well, do I actually belong as a fan in this space? Is it for me? Or should I just, you know, like this on my own and not even try to engage with the wider fan community? There's so much about fandom that provokes those issues of whether or not you belong here because you're doing or not doing a certain thing or because you look a certain way or identify in a certain way. I don't know. I, I don't have anything significant to add to, to what you said because, yeah, I mean, that, that really was the the driving force behind this podcast is you don't have to be a straight cis white woman to enjoy and engage with Jane Austen, whether that's critically, as we often do, or just, you know, with the sheer joy of seeing a really cute couple get together. Like, everyone deserves to be able to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And everyone deserves to see themselves represented. This is something that we talked about a really long time ago, and very briefly in the race episode of Sense and Sensibility, which we recorded after Bridgerton had come out. And we had a little bit of conversation about their inclusion there of like an in-universe explanation for why there were black people Mm -hmm. in high society. And I, I think we kind of came to a consensus there that it felt unnecessary. Like this is fantasy regency england can you not just have black people without there being trauma behind it yeah because that's what white people we get to enjoy that all the time you know we don't have to have an in-universe explanation for why the queen of england is white in any (laughs) given story and there was so much potential there like if they just hadn't had that and if they had just let it be and also you know filled out the ranks of their fictional society a little better with more diversity. I I feel like it could have been a much more satisfying experience for the people who were looking to that kind of media Mm -hmm. to see themselves represented unrestricted in that romance setting. Right. Yeah. And I think part of why shows like Bridgerton are so popular is because in this instance, like, fans of color specifically like always knew these stories can belong to us but it felt like an affirmation like yes we too get to participate in these stories and it was like somebody was saying okay yes we see you and we see that you exist and you also get to have this type of story or this type of experience or get to see yourself on screen because you also belong in this world we knew that already but having that affirmed Mm -hmm. felt like something that had been so long overdue you Mm -hmm. know like yes are real and uncomfortable stories exist and deserve to be told but also we deserve escapism Mm -hmm. we deserve happy stories we don't need to just be reminded all the time of this was what the struggle was like yeah we know Mm -hmm. we lived it slash are living it yeah (laughs) we got it and i feel like part of the reason that those real historical lives are so important to be remembered is because as white people a lot of us we don't learn that kind of history whereas people of color are confronted with it every single day Mm -hmm. and so not to be like oh but you need to cater to to the white people who need to learn the history like we need to do our own work in learning that kind of history but like yes those things should exist because we shouldn't forget them but they should exist alongside the same kind of 
media for for general entertainment yeah yeah like yeah. i totally like i think those stories still need to be out there i yeah, just absolutely. want there to be more of a balance between trauma porn pretty much yes. and like the types of stories where you can just escape into a different world and unplug your brain for 90 yeah. minutes take you know? take the pure escapism and make the protagonists not straight cis white people that's it that's please all I want. that is that is we're begging for that Hire production teams who are invested in telling these stories well without the trauma. And for the love of God, hire a black person who can do their hair correctly. <laughs> Get a natural hairstylist on set. Oh, and a makeup artist while you're at it. <laughs> that is our plea. Oh, just, yeah, do, do right by the joy that everybody deserves to have in media that's it that's all we want but anyway that has been my pop culture connection for today just thinking about belonging and who feels welcome and just a reminder that not only do all of you and any of you listening to the podcast belong here but you're also welcome here yes and we're thrilled that you're here and we hope that you're able to to take this kind of energy out beyond just this podcast and that you're able to find and create other spaces within fandom where you feel like you belong without caveats Mm -hmm. amen shall we do final takeaways oh yeah i was ready to outro but yes final takeaways (laughs) (laughs) oh no i have to go first you do indeed oh i don't even know Honestly, I think my final takeaway is just that Jane and Bingley are really cute. They're adorable, and they do belong together. Lauren, what's your final takeaway? There's so many different things to focus on that I'm not sure either. We covered so many different topics. Yeah. I think my final takeaway is that people should spend more time thinking about the difference between belonging and welcoming. That's excellent. I like that. Because those are a huge difference. Yeah, those are two very different things that seem similar. They can go together really mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. but are not the same. So mm-hmm. especially when thinking about like intentionally creating spaces. Sure, okay, everyone belongs, but how do you make sure that everybody is welcome? Thank you for joining us in this episode of Reclaiming Jane. Next time, we'll look at chapters 56 through 61 of Pride and Prejudice through the lens of identity. To read a full transcript of this episode, check out our website, reclaimingjanepod.com, where you can also find show notes, the full back catalog, and links to our social media. If you'd like to support us and gain access to exclusive content, you can join our Patreon at Reclaiming Jane Pod. Reclaiming Jane is produced and co-hosted by Lauren Weathers and Emily Davis-Hale. Our music is by Latasha Bundy, and our show art is by Emily Davis-Hale. We'll see you next time. I love most romance tropes, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people like to turn their nose up at tropes because they're things that are done all the time. And I get it. But they persist for a reason. It's because they're fun and because we connect to them and because they're fun to read about. Like, let people enjoy things. The question is about the journey, not the destination. Exactly. I know that what awaits me at the end is a happily ever after, which is why I picked up this book because Mm -hmm. I don't want misery. I want happiness. I want a roller coaster on the way, but I want everyone to arrive safely back at the station, hand in hand, probably making out. Yeah. Who doesn't?